You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Just pray for uh, Jay's family. I mentioned it in the prayer, and people are probably wondering what's going on. Um, Yeah, um, Jamie's mom had... uh, uh, passed away, and uh, Jay's dad uh, is not doing well, and his mom just broke her hip, and so she just had surgery and is recovering, but there's just a lot going on for him. Um, just want to start out, my name is Gabe, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I uh, am very involved in the Hispanic ministry of Grace Community Church, and that's usually where you'll see me. At, you know, we meet at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, but I get the privilege of, of sharing from God's word today. And I want to just ask you a question. Um, it could have happened this week or sometime in your life where you have this moment of anticipation where, you know, a yes or a no, uh, an answer of a yes or a no is going is to really be important for you. Like this week, uh, I think it was Monday morning, I woke up, I got a phone call from my sister-in-law, and uh, she's in Paraguay, South America, and she calls me and says, hey, can you get a hold of your brother? He's in Minnesota. And she says, you know, can you get a hold of him? I can't get a hold of him. Like, really? Yeah. And she says, yeah, I just, I can't get a hold of him. I need to talk to him. Like, okay, okay. Um, So how long has it been since you talked to him? Yesterday. Okay, I'm thinking, wow, you really love your brother, uh, my brother, and that's really good. Uh, but, uh, you know, she just says, I just really need to get a hold of him. And I'm thinking, well, what do you need to tell him? And she says, she, I, didn't actually, I, I didn't actually ask her that, but she said, so I'll just tell you, but I just want you to know your, your mom and your dad are okay. Thinking, okay, is, this is this, there's this, I'm thinking, what is going on? And she said, uh, you, you need to look at this group uh, post, your family's group post. Your mom and dad's house was on fire, and, but they're okay. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. So uh, I went online, looked. The house didn't burn down. There was a fire in the garage that basically ate up a couple of vehicles and motorcycles, and there was some damage to the house. But the house didn't burn down, so that was a good thing. Um, and I did get to talk to my parents, and, and they're, they're fine. But that moment of anticipation where she says, they're fine, and you try to get a hold of them, and you can't, and you're wondering, but how are you doing really? Are you okay or are you not okay? You're, just, you're wondering for a positive, or, or you just want to know. Um, there are other, have you had one in the past week, maybe? Something small or big? There's one in my life that I would like to share about back a few years now, when there's my wife, Carrie. And uh, this was, I think this was 1999, about that time when um, we were good friends and we were talking about the possibility of dating. So in 1998, I actually had a conversation with my, who is now my stepfather. He was just a guy back then. but my stepfather, I, I, I went up to him, and I basically asked, he was at the college at our graduation in Iowa, and I asked him, you know, uh, I would like to uh, 
stay in communication with your daughter, and I just want to ask your permission if that would be okay. My intention is that I would like to date her, and, you know, if I date her, I'm aiming for marriage. So that's, what do you think? And he had been to Vietnam, and he let me know that. Uh, <laughs> um, and then he followed it by a few questions, which are, I won't get into, but I'm sitting there waiting. Is this a yes or a no? And Carrie uh, absolutely respected her dad, loved her dad. So I knew that if, if he didn't like this idea, it was prob- probably not going to happen. So I, I told him, you know what? If, if you say no, um, I'll walk away. Um, just because I knew, th- I knew this, this really meant a lot to her. And I wanted to respect and honor her and him. And so nice thing. She said yes, obviously. Um, and, uh, and now a few years later, I was going to say six years later, but that's six kids later. Uh, so, um, yeah, but just that moment, waiting for a yes or no. And this passage we're going to look at in Galatians is one of those moments where you're waiting for a big yes or, or for a no, and the impact that it's going to have on, on life on the people you care about, and on life. And so as Paul traveled through Galatia, we looked, uh, we've been looking over the past few weeks at this, this message, this letter that he writes to the Galatians. And it's not a, a kind letter, you know, uh, dear Galatians, how are you doing kind of a thing. No, it's more of a, you foolish Galatians, what are you thinking? That's the kind of letter it is. It's, it's hard. It's tough love. But that's the tone of the letter. And he's, he's telling, what are you thinking? You were presented with the gospel, the full gospel, and you're following something different. You're following something that's not even a gospel. I don't know what it is. It's, it's, and so the question is, what did Paul present originally? What was his message to the Galatians? And if we go to Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. This was his original message when he went to Galatia. And before he actually says this part of the message, he uh, is already preaching. This is just part of it. And in his message, he gives them a little bit of the history of this coming Messiah, this Jesus. And in that history, he talks about uh, the faithfulness of guys like David who loved God with their whole heart. And there were other people in this, in this message. In the end, he talks about John the Baptist and the message that John the Baptist preached. It was a message of repentance, of transformation, of, of true heart change. And then he comes to this passage and he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, I am set free. We're just saying this. I am set free from every sin through Jesus. That's the gospel message. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. The law of Moses, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you worked at it, there was no justification coming by working, 
doing the law or, or trying to observe the law of Moses. And so grace and peace to you in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. He's going back to the letter. He's, he, he, at the beginning of the letter, in the opening, he presents the very gospel. He just reiterates, this is the message. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is the gospel. The Lord, Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Not to leave us where we were, but to take us from this dark place and rescue us. We are free. We don't live there anymore. (laughs) We're free. And so he said, you foolish Galatians, why are you following something different? In this passage, the the first word in verse 3 is grace. We talked about this word grace. Grace is God's unmerited acceptance, freely given for the sake of relationship and for enablement to serve him and others. It's free. God gives it to us freely. But it has a purpose. Imagine last Christmas, you got a gift. How many of you got got a gift? Anyone? Okay, good. good. Imagine you get this gift and you look at the wrapping. Oh, that is so beautiful. You know, and you take it and you put it somewhere And you don't unwrap it. You just let it sit there so you can look at it every now and then. Would that make any sense? I hope not. That's not what gifts are for. Gifts are meant to be torn in. You've got to unwrap it. You've got to open it up. And you've got to use whatever is given. That's what it's for, right? Imagine giving your kids a gift, and that's what they do with it. They put it on a stand somewhere. Like, what is wrong with you? Right? That's the tone that Paul is saying. This is grace. It's something freely given. God gives us forgiveness of sins, but it's got a purpose. He wants us to use it. He wants us to to obey him, to serve God, and we're going to see this in this chapter. We heard that Paul received this message from God. He didn't go to school to hear this. I mean, he did go to school, but the message received was not from school. Jesus himself appeared and taught him, taught him this message, this gospel, and it's interesting, he came to Paul, out of all people. <laughs> a very unlikely person. And he was definitely zealous for God. But this is the man who persecuted Christ's followers. He had them tortured and killed, imprisoned. And Jesus goes and finds Paul and tells him, this is the gospel. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. So Paul is this unlikely person, and here he is, and he's telling the Galatians, I I was one of those people who preached the law. And here's, here's, uh, so this is Paul. He was an enemy of those who followed Jesus and were now preaching the gospel. He wasn't, one interesting thing about Paul, he was, as he went and preached with Barnabas and the other guys, he was constantly faced with these Judaizers. Those who said that Jesus was not enough to help you follow God. You must also become a Jew. You must be circumcised. You must keep the Mosaic law. You must obey the Sabbath, eat kosher food, observe Jewish holidays. And there was a a long list. After all, these Judaizers were people who had the scriptures They were people who looked back at their own history and they could say, you know, 
Scripture tells us that the reason why we're in captivity is because we disobeyed these laws. We disobeyed God. And so there was Scripture and there was a strong backing and there was tradition and culture. And the Galatians, as they hear this, they're, they're saying, yeah. And they're following, they're going from Jesus to Jesus empowers us to, now I must also obey this. Here in the letter to Galatians, Paul is telling them, this isn't anything new. Not just the Galatians are the only ones that this has happened to. You need to know what happened to us in Jerusalem. And he goes back and he tells them, this is what happened to to me and Barnabas and these other guys when we were were in Antioch, when we were in other places. These Judaizers would come in and they started teaching these things. And so we went to Jerusalem. And here's what happened. We went to, to like where it all started in Jerusalem with the 12 apostles. And, and this is what happened. Galatians chapter 2 says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my, my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So we go back and let's take back and, and look at this passage. There are two guys that Paul talks about. Who are these? You got Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas. Barnabas um, may not have been originally from Jerusalem, but when the church gets started, he is in that church. He's in the, in the church in Jerusalem. And if you remember, Peter had preached to a large in Acts. He, when the church gets started, uh, he preaches, and over 3,000 people come to Christ. And then those people go to their different towns because they're, they're in town from different places. Well, later the disciples hear that, that the church is growing and there's this place in Antioch up north, Antioch of, of Syria, that where there's a church that's growing. And so they send Barnabas to go up and, and see what's going on. Now, Jerusalem is kind of the hub of Judaism. It's the place where the Mosaic law would get started. That's, 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 that, that's where it goes out. That's where, it's, that's where it goes out from. And the church, even though they're, they have Christ and they have a relationship with him, um, you've got to remember that culturally, 
They're keeping many of, they're keeping the Mosaic law and there's nothing wrong with that. But you go up north to Antioch and this is a group of Jewish people who um, in many ways Jerusalem would kind of look down on because they're mixed with other people. And you've got the gospel is growing, so Barnabas goes, and what happens is Barnabas in Acts says that he recognizes the grace of God at work in them. And what he does is he encourages them. And then later, Barnabas goes and finds Paul, and he brings him over to Tart to Antioch, and where they start preaching the gospel. Then later they end up going on the mission field. Why? Because Barnabas goes and finds and finds. Paul. It's interesting, Barnabas, uh, when, when Paul first comes to Christ, um, a, a, a while later, he tries to come to Jerusalem and tries to meet the disciples. Only remember, he was the man who persecuted the church. So everybody's afraid of, of Paul. The one man that reaches out to Paul is Barnabas. He's the one who reaches out, and he will eventually introduce him to the other disciples. Um, you've got Titus. Chi- Titus is not Jewish. He's a Gentile. He's someone who heard the gospel through Paul, and he comes into faith in Jesus. He would become one of Paul's faithful companions. Over time, he would become a church planter. One of our books in the Bible is named after Titus. So why would Paul go to Jerusalem? After all, he's an apostle. Jesus gave him the gospel. Why do I have to prove? Do I really have to go and prove if this is legitimate or not? (laughs) And yet, Paul chooses to go to Jerusalem. He knows that this message is truth. And if the esteemed apostles from Jerusalem are truly God's people, if they truly walked with the same Jesus that taught them, then there's nothing, he he has nothing to fear. And so he chooses to go, go to Jerusalem I realize when you look around the world today, there are lots of denominations. The, the gospel looks different, and sometimes it looks divisive. And it, churches can't, there are divisions. But is the gospel represented by that? I think the gospel is, it's not about anarchy. The gospel is about unity. That's what it's really about. And when you... Well, on the one hand, you have all kinds of denominations and there are lines that separate people. We do have one thing in common, and that's Jesus. Um, Growing up in Paraguay, church was under a mango tree. And we met under a mango tree. Sometimes a mango would fall, and that was like, who's it going to? Anyway, aren't you glad no mangoes in here? Uh, But, um, you know, you go to other places in the world, I've been to places like Italy and Israel and, and, uh, or Bolivia and Brazil, and, and sometimes you run into people and, and you're in a context where, where you might be the foreigner or people don't know you, and you run into someone who knows Christ, and suddenly you've got family right there. Isn't that amazing? The church brings unity, and, and Paul says that I went in response to a revelation. God basically told them, go to Jerusalem. You need to talk to them. And, he, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. He meets with the leaders in Jerusalem. He does it privately. Why privately? He could have gone in 
and just started meeting with a group over here. I mean, he was a pretty charismatic guy, it seemed like. He, he could have just started meeting with a little group over here, a little group over there, and then eventually let's, let's, uh, let's tell them what we're preaching. That would have caused a stir, and it wouldn't have been in the heart of unity. But instead, he goes and he presents the gospel. This is, guys, Peter, James, this is my message. Let me know what you think. And so he presents it privately. There's humility. There is a sense of, hey, you know what? I, I, I really want to let you guys tell me what you think. I love the preaching team on Tuesdays. In fact, this message right here, I was presented it, and I got a bunch of comments back, and some of it I'm not saying, and some of it I am because of that. There's, a, there's this, this, uh, this opportunity to share and listen from God's people. And so... You can imagine he takes Barnabas and Titus. And Barnabas, these guys, they already know Barnabas. Titus, he's a Gentile. He's a Greek. And in Jerusalem, in the city out there, he's going to probably be looked down on because he's a Gentile. But what happens in the church? What are they going to say? And there's a sense of anticipation. After I present the gospel, the message, what will the disciples say? What will the apostles say? Will they say, well, you, yeah, that's right, but you have to add the Mosaic law to this? I mean, what are you going to tell Titus? Are you going to be telling him, hey, Titus, it looks like uh, you have to be circumcised, and it looks like you have to obey these laws? Or what happens? And what's interesting in verse 3 <clears throat> Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. Wow. That feeling that you're accepted. The apostles and Peter accepted him. They didn't make him feel like he, he needed to adhere to the Mosaic law, even though they were probably, they were doing it. Um, this was a very important moment, a moment of recognizing God's work among different people. And these two guys, Barnabas and Titus, played a major role in this. I want to look a little bit more at Barnabas and Titus because Paul finds support in these guys. He's not alone. He's not just going to present this message by himself, but these guys are, are there with him. Barnabas, I already mentioned, he was the first guy to reach out to Paul. Um, he was the first guy to accept him. He, when, when Paul eventually kind of disappeared off the map because he was being persecuted by towns and cities because he started talking about Jesus, he went home. He went to Tarsus, away from Israel. And Barnabas goes over there and finds him and, and brings him and encourages him to be involved again. And then Barnabas is the one to go out on the mission, the first missionary journeys with Paul. It's Barnabas. You've got Titus. Titus is Paul's son in the faith. What's interesting about Titus coming to Jerusalem is that Titus is evidence of the grace of God. He is evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside this man and he guides him. He's not a man who says, I am free to do whatever I want. I get to sin and you know what? That's not Titus. Titus is saying, I am free to live separate from sin, to obey God's laws, to serve him. This is Titus. Another thing that when we look at, at the way the uh, disciples respond, 
the apostles' response shows that the gospel honors culture. The gospel isn't about making people become like me, pray like me, listen to my music, eat my food, uh, although that's, I, I like that kind of thing. <laughs> but, but it's not about, you have to speak my language. I mean, some of these things are good. But the gospel isn't about saying, you have to become like me. In verse 6, Paul said, they added nothing to my message. In other words, Paul presenting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, to be empowered to serve God and to love and obey him was the complete gospel. Even though he didn't add the Mosaic law, it was complete. That was the gospel. It was the gospel for salvation and it was the gospel for living a new life. And the disciples, the apostles, are recognizing that the Mosaic law wasn't something that was to be imposed on the Gentiles for inclusion. Instead, there was a acceptance. And, and there was a telling of Titus, you're part of the family, just the way you are. But there was the infiltration of these false believers. These false believers would come in saying that it was, it was good to believe in Jesus, that knowing Jesus and following him, well, that wasn't quite enough. That wasn't enough if you truly wanted to honor God. In chapter one, Paul said they were trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They added that the only way to be truly part of God's people was, I already mentioned it, to become, to become a Jew, to, to be circumcised, to follow the Mosaic law. To them, saying I'm not under the Mosaic law meant I'm free to live an immoral life. That's what they were hearing. Being a Christ follower does not mean I'm free to sin. It means the opposite. It means I'm free from sin. I actually get to honor God with my life. It's not a, I was a prisoner, I'm going to get out, I'm freed, and I'm going to go and I'm going to build a cell just like it, and I'm going to live in that. That doesn't make sense. That's not living in freedom. It means I'm going to get out and get to enjoy my freedom to do good things. Um, these guys cause division. In Corinth, uh, the first chapters of Corinth talk about, they, they start saying, well, hey, I belong to Paul. I belong to Peter. And there's this division and strife, and they're misrepresenting the gospel by saying, I, I follow this guy's message or that guy's message. And that wasn't what they were preaching at all. They were making people slaves. They were making people slaves. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul is telling them, don't, 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 let, don't let yourself be judged by all these things. You have freedom in Christ. So here's Paul going back to Galatians after presenting his message, after presenting it to the apostles, what's the outcome? The outcome is that, that Paul was confirmed and his message was confirmed by the apostles. James, Peter, and John recognized 
that this was the complete gospel. They recognized that God was at work. They recognized that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. God was at work, and they didn't need to add anything to his message. One cool thing that I love in this passage is this phrase. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Not only do they say, okay, you're part of the family, but they're saying, we're partners in this. We're together in this. This is one gospel. It's one church. We are together in this. So they, they reach out and they're saying, they're, they're being, there's, there's a sense of unity. The one thing they did ask, and I love this, I love this little hidden thing here, is uh, that we should continue to remember the poor. What's interesting about this is that when Barnabas went up to Antioch, to that kind of a half-Gentile town or church, when Jerusalem was suffering, when it was poor, Antioch put an offering together and sent it down to Jerusalem to help them. Who ends up being the poor? Jerusalem. And later on, uh, Titus would be in charge of another offering that is taken in, in, in Corinth to send money to support the poor in Judea, in the area where Jerusalem and other believers are. So I love how the gospel brings unity and they're blessing Titus now only for that blessing to go out and eventually come back from the entire, all the, ch the churches out there are going to send support to Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? And the guy to bring it is going to be this guy, Titus. Titus. So what about my life? This is where it gets real. What does this have to do with us? You might be here this morning thinking that this new life, this relationship with God is for people who are good people, for people who have their life put together. I imagine that could have been Titus before he heard this message from Paul, before Paul comes saying, your sins can be wiped away. That message to Titus and to people back then is the same message today. If you're here and there is a burden of sin, of brokenness over you and you're tied to that, Jesus wants you to know that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sin and to help turn your life around. You don't have to live as a slave to that master. Or maybe you've lived your life trying to keep a list of rules to be right with God. Will you come to the one who can hear your every thought and choose to trust him? He is the one who makes us good enough. He is the one who empowers you and wants to walk with you through life. He wants to make you into guys like Barnabas and Titus. And if you're here and you already have a relationship with Christ, what, is, what does it look like for me to recognize that the, the grace that God gives to others? I think of Barnabas. He could see where people were and, and recognize the grace that God, God had given them. 
I, I think that in order to be able to do that, your walk with God must be in tune. Your relationship with God must be there. And so it makes me wonder about myself and ask you, how is your relationship with God? How is your friendship with him? Do you spend time in his word? Do you spend time talking to him, talking to him about life, just about the choices you're making, about everyday decisions, about your family, about your, your friends? I think about my father-in-law way back then. Over the course of a few years, he said, I've been praying for you all your life. Wow. Are we talking to God about the things that are happening in our lives? Are we able to recognize God's grace and, 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 and encourage people? And then the last one here, is my life proof of the grace that God offers? Does my freedom point to Christ? I think of Titus. He is proof of the evidence of the gospel in his life. And it makes me wonder, what does my life look like when people see me? I'm not living to try to please people. I'm living to try to please God. And is that, is that what people see? Are they seeing evidence in our lives of the fact that, does my life point to Christ? Something very clear in this passage is that God works in people who aren't like me. And you have Paul, guys like Paul and Barnabas and Titus who are willing to be vulnerable and go to these different people. And it's interesting, it goes both ways. Paul goes out to the Gentiles and here you've got Titus coming back to Jerusalem. And he's willing to be vulnerable and lay it all on the line. While we are called to go into the world and make disciples, all of us are called. Most of the people in this room are specifically called to reach out to other people with the same language and culture. Most of us. That starts at home with our close relationships and it expands. Some of us are called to invest in relationships across language and cultural lines. But all of us are called to accept brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Thank you. Thank you, Grace Community Church, for being that place where Hispanic brothers and sisters can call this family. I realize they're not right here within us, but this is home. And they're going to meet this afternoon. We're going to meet this afternoon. And while it's not for all of us to be jumping across lines, there are people who do. And it sends this message that this is family that we extend our right hand of fellowship to you and we're partners in this. Thank you for doing that. When we look out there at Gresham and Portland and the people around us, there are people from all kinds of places and people who are very different. And as we reach across here, we represent Christ. We represent this one church culture so what is the impact of the gospel in us? What is the freedom that we have in Christ? We have true forgiveness from the brokenness that tears our lives apart. It makes us right with God. 
The gospel makes us right with God. The gospel is God's, God healing us. And I'm, I mean, right here within us, but also at Comunidad, at the third service and across relationships, God, the gospel is God healing us, bringing personal peace. It heals broken relationships. It heals marriages. It makes us live right at work. Constantly, we're constantly in process. It helps people be right with government. I think of people who are undocumented and the investment that Grace Community Church has put into immigrant connection. Why? Because we want to see people live right, do things the right way. Thank you for investing. The gospel empowers us to live a life of blessing. Over the past few months, a team of people have been, have been crossing those lines. There are some people here, um, I'll mention a few, Susan Sloan, um, Scott Ekstrom. Scott Ekstrom. I remember a few years ago, we put him in the, I'm sorry, Scott, you didn't know I was going to say this about you. Uh, but a few years ago, we met over here in the great room, and there was just a group of people, and he was our, our youth pastor. And a couple of times, a few times, we asked him to preach. He doesn't, he speaks some Spanish, okay? But he got up, and he, he would write out his entire sermon, and he would, love you, Scott, he would butcher the Spanish, <laughs> but his messages were so good. And there were people in the room who would hear this guy with passion, love God and love them. And just the fuel of the gospel, just the energy, just we love God, we love people. Um, there are other guys here, Scott Copeland, Daryl Broadsword, Jerry Smith. He speaks Spanish now, at least some, Yeah. These guys have been reaching across and they're part of the third service. And just to see how they, they, they love people. Why? Because Grace Community Church, you're empowering people to do this. And I just have to say thank you. I want to clarify, we're not trying to say, let's just all mix together and make a hodgepodge and kind of see what comes out. Um, what we're saying is, Culture and people, different people, are beautiful. And we want to recognize who they are the way they are. And we want to tell them you're part of the same family. We love you. And we have the privilege of being able to share this gospel, the gospel of God for all people. So I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. And as I ask them to come up, I'd like us to, to, to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray. And here are some ways in which you could pray. God, please help me recognize your grace in my life. You've got to recognize what God is doing. But, but God, please help me see your grace in my life and in the life of others to be able to encourage them so I can be like Barnabas. Second, is there someone you would like me to invest in relationally this week? Is there someone out, someone, it could be someone close. It could be someone that you really not, don't know that well, or maybe don't know at all. 
but just ask the question, God, is there someone you want me to invest in? And finally, Lord, help me, help my life to grow in this grace. Make me proof of the gospel, like Titus. Make me proof of the gospel. We want Grace Community Church, we want our lives to be evidence of this amazing gospel, the thing that sets us free. So I'm gonna stop talking. I'll give you a few seconds. Would you talk to God? Go ahead. Father, as we've been, we consider this word grace, this unmerited gift that gives us the freedom to serve you, sometimes we forget, sometimes I forget how much you've given. Sometimes I forget the power, I forget your presence. And it's those times when I tend to lean towards that old slave. Father, I thank you for the freedom that you give us. I pray, Lord, that you would help me, help us recognize your grace in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Help us come alongside and encourage. Help us serve. Father, I pray for all of us as a church, just that we would look around and choose to speak encouragement, to lift each other up, help us to grow, help us as a church to be proof, living proof of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Interestingly, this closing, these, closes, these closing verses come out of the book of Titus. For the grace of God, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Maybe as you were praying, ah, I'm sure he has, (laughs) he's placed on your mind someone to go talk to. Please go and live out the gospel. All right, God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.